What makes a great leader great? How do we create a high-performing team? And when we say leader, we mean everyone, because everyone is leading their own life. Will yours be a life by design or a life by default? Those are the big questions, and this podcast will answer them. Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast, where we help you apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders, because great leaders will produce great results. All right, welcome back to our Becoming Your Best friends, wherever you're at in the world. This is your host, Rob Schallenberger, and I hope you're having a fabulous day. You know, this is going to be a fun podcast. I have with me here in the same office, John Skidmore. We're going to talk about something that has touched everyone at some point in their lives, whether directly or indirectly, this particular topic will have touched everyone at some point. I'm going to, first of all, direct you to the website, anxietyconquer.com. There'll be some resources there we'll talk about throughout this podcast that will be helpful to you, and we'll get into that in more detail. But I want to introduce John Skidmore. I had the chance to meet John, oh, it's almost been a couple of years now. He is a licensed psychologist. He's a professor at Brigham Young University, has an amazing background of helping people through anxiety and all kinds of performance anxiety-related issues, and he's really been doing this for decades. So first of all, John, it's great to have you here. It is great to be here. Looking forward to being a part of your friend network and being able to support them in any way I can. Well, John's become a great friend. He's the co-author with us, so uh, him, my father, and myself wrote the book, Conquer Anxiety, and it was just awesome to go through this journey together with him and see how anxiety is something that reaches more of us than we realize. It's something that touches us in so many different ways. And so we want to get into this podcast. You know, what is anxiety? What causes anxiety? What are some of the things that people experience? And then touch on a few of the topics that you'll find in the book and how that can be so helpful. And first of all, recognizing what anxiety is, because that's the start. That's one of the things I've learned through this process. And then number two is how do you address anxiety and finally conquer it so that you're at this optimal level of what we call activation throughout this process. So we're going to jump into this. I'm going to ask John a few questions and help him bring his wealth of knowledge to elaborate on some of these things that are a little bit of mysterious topics, you know, for a lot of people. And so let's start with anxiety, John, just in the very basic foundation. You know, why do we experience anxiety in the first place as human beings? The natural state of the body is a state of rest and peace. But yet we've also been subjected to all kinds of threats, dangers, and fears. We've got to survive. So anxiety is really all about the survival mechanism that's built into our brain. I like to talk about three parts of the brain that are so important. We have our midbrain, which is all about our fight-or-flight response. That's where our anxiety comes from. That's where that imprinting of something that causes anxiety, like rattlesnakes, boy, that imprint is there. It shows up. It fires off. It sends the adrenaline through the system, signals for that. And then we react to it. We get, and we like to use the word activated in our book, because this is actually called the sympathetic nervous system. It is activated. And when it's activated, we're familiar with these symptoms. Heart rate increases, respiration increases. Sometimes the mouth goes dry. Respiration becomes very shallow. Sometimes the face feels like it flushes. Sometimes the stomach feels like it's tied in knots or there's butterflies or jets flying around in that stomach. All kinds of weird stuff can happen. And all of that is really designed to help us prepare to fight or to run. But yet, a job interview, well, I'm going to go into this, but that anxiety, those symptoms 
aren't necessary for that, and they simply interfere. So we have that mid part of the brain, then we have our frontal cortex under the forehead, prefrontal cortex right behind that. I like to refer to that as the decider brain. That's the part of the brain we want to be in when we go into that job interview, when we're trying to organize this project, when we're trying to create something. And it's exciting to be able to be in that part of our brain, but we also know what happens when that midbrain gets triggered. And this was something that was interesting is I've heard a lot of people now who have read the book already just in the short time that we've released it. And they said they love being able to put a label on an emotion. In other words, rather than it just being this mysterious thing, <laughs> you know, the butterflies or tingling, whatever it is, now you can say, you know what, I'm not just nervous, I'm not just anxious, I'm simply activated. And with the word activated implies deactivate. Now, it's so important to get that you can activate faster than a heartbeat, but yet it's going to take you 20 minutes or more for that super juice, as I like to call it, to get burned out of the system. The adrenaline, right? The adrenaline, the adrenaline, all that glucose, cortisol, all that stuff that shows up. It takes 20 minutes for that to burn out of the system. And so a lot of people, as they look at some of the interventions, they don't react fast enough. It's not like click a mouse and you have the what you're looking for. <laughs> uh, we have to work for it a little bit. That's an important thing to be able to recognize. Let's practice those skills to relax, to calm down, and recognize, hey, I'm just activated, but I'm not in danger. Okay, what's more important? Worrying about my stomach doing flip-flops or the message I want to share, the gift I want to give? You brought up the midbrain versus the decider brain. Yes. The other thing that's been interesting about anxiety in general, you know, everyone experiences it to some degree or another, right? Mm -hmm. Getting up to give a talk in front of people, we can all relate at some point. We felt those butterflies in the stomach, the sweaty palms. You know, you're going to go out there and, and play a musical instrument. You have a sporting event, whatever. We've all experienced it to a degree. And what's interesting is it has its root cause in all kinds of different areas. In other words, the source of our anxiety can come from so many different things. And what's been interesting about this discussion in the midbrain and the decider brain is, you know, something that happened to us when we were four years old or three years old or seven years old. It may not have even been a life-threatening thing back then, but it left such an imprint on us. Yes. The, the midbrain now has tagged that or labeled that, and it perceives it as a real threat. So even though it may not be a life-threatening deal or threat, our midbrain has tagged that, and now it draws out the same emotions as if it was life-threatening, kind of like the rattlesnake. Yes. So talk a little bit more about that. The brain of a child, that midbrain is fully developed by the time a child's two years old. And all they're really doing at that point is encoding, learning things that are going to be hurtful, harmful to them. This is part of survival. So we're going to learn about mistakes. We're going to learn about failures. We're going to learn about pain. We're going to learn about positive responses, these kinds of things. Well, the response we learn when we're little is often the same response we bring to our experiences as an adult, except we often think as an adult the problem's in front of our nose. In this sense, I'd like to talk about 5% of why we're upset or scared most often is in front of our nose and 95% is between our ears. Yeah. That's where the real energy is coming from. And suddenly it's like, oh, if I can take care of my reaction to this and my response to this, oh, I'm going to call this a learning opportunity. It's not a failure. My history of failure brings up a whole different thing. It's interesting because when we're talking about fight or flight, most anxiety is, like you said, 95% of it's between our ears. It's something that we've tagged along the way or labeled as a threat, but the reality is it's not a life-threatening threat. It also starts to kind of shift very quickly from the physical pain or physical threat 
I mean, I'm 59 years old. I've only had one true bona fide life-threatening experience, like near death. That could have taken me out. <laughs> but I've had lots more of anxiety in situations where I've been anxious or worried or concerned about things. It's because we start to tune into the social component. Um, am I being liked? Is it good enough? Is it going to be accepted? Was it the right thing? Was it complete enough? Was it what I hoped for? And these things can also start to trigger our stress response. Yeah, so I, I mean, that's kind of the idea, right? There are so many different things that could trigger our stress response. Yes. And so in chapter two of the book, for those who get the book, Conquer Anxiety, and hopefully everyone listening to this will get the book because it will benefit you. It will benefit your family, your friends, your coworkers. I mean, in writing this, I learned so many things in our conversations with John, especially related to performance anxiety. So in chapter two, is there we put in there an assessment, yes. right, John? And this assessment, there's four different significant exercises that really walk a person through what's causing their anxiety. Why is it so important that someone takes that assessment versus just jumps into, you know, learning different techniques? Well, I'm going to use the words of a colleague of mine. I gave her a copy of my book and she pulled me in the office just the other day and said, John, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure. I was reading your book and I was reading the assessment and I'd never connected that when I was seven, X happened and I've been anxious about that ever since. Huh. And, you know, here's a professional in the mental health field. And she was like, thank you. That helped me res explain where some of my anxiety has been coming from. So really what this does is it gives us a chance to look at some of the major themes, not only experiences that we've had around successes and failures, because there's a lot of us, we have issues with that. But as we start to look at what we call our successes, what we call our failures, as we start to look at different attitudes and beliefs, these are typically patterns I do not have to redecide my response to a, in, to a rattlesnake encounter. That is just so there that anytime that shows up, I know exactly what to do. I know what I'm going to do. Where, I mean, it just happens. Well, this is about changing these patterns and recognizing where they started is a great way of saying, oh, that may have been reasonable then. That may have made sense then. It doesn't make sense now. Hmm. And that gives us access to saying, oh, my first response. That's one thing I love to talk about is that midbrain will give us a first response. And it's very powerful to watch someone say, oh, my first response. Yeah, that's my first response. Oh, I can't trust that. Oh, if that's my first response, can't trust it. What could be my second response? What could be my third response? That's where that decider brain decider comes brain, in. Decider brain, right? Yep. I'm going to decide that this is going to be an opportunity. I'm going to decide that I can live as I go through this. I'm going to decide what my next right step's going to be. You know, and, and we have literally hours of content here that we can talk about, and we're going to do more podcasts on this book, Conquer Anxiety. So it's okay that we go off on some sidetracks here because we'll come back to these. So you just brought up the first response. Yes. And this one's been interesting because we can, again, I think everyone listening to this podcast relate to this. You know, you finish giving a talk in front of a group of people, you finish playing a musical instrument, an athletic event, an interview, whatever. And it's so interesting to look into our brains as human beings and how our first response most of the time tends to be negative. Yes. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it's like, oh, that didn't go well. Or what could have happened there? So 99 things could have gone right. One thing maybe didn't. And we tend to focus on that one thing. Right. And if we're not careful, this is one of the things that I've observed. If we're not careful, that one thing, despite there being 99 good things about that experience, can get labeled or tagged and start creating anxiety for future things like that. Absolutely. And it's interesting, our brain does focus on negatives because that has survival value on that hunter-gatherer brain. It goes back a few thousand years. 
And so we want to pay attention to that. We don't want to have to relearn this. So here's the idea. In chapter two, you're going to see an assessment for those who read the book. And it is so important to go into that assessment because what I've learned is you've got to understand what's causing your anxiety. You've got to understand what's the root cause of why you're experiencing what you're experiencing, why you're having certain thought patterns, right? Yes. My wife, for example, read the book and she skipped that chapter. She's like, oh, I loved it. You know, and I was looking at this and this. And anyway, we had this conversation. I asked her about the assessment. She goes, well, I skipped that chapter. (laughs) You know, unfortunately, too many people will skip that chapter. And so it really is important to say, let's look at where did I get trained to think and feel the way I am right now around those kinds of things. It's one thing to be in like a car accident. Who wouldn't be anxious? Who wouldn't be all activated in that situation? Those are terrifying experiences. We're out of control. We're in danger. Well, we're talking about anxiety that is unwarranted, unnecessary, and it's showing up and it's interfering. And that's what, that's a thing that is really powerful to recognize is we often create a lot of secondary anxiety, anticipatory anxiety. It's like I'm getting worried about what if this happens? And what if this happens like it did last time? And suddenly that sense of anxiety starts to build and it just gets in the way. It is such a huge interfering factor. And it's great to say there's tools and skills that I can use when I am activated, both mentally and physically, so I can start to break out of these old patterns or we'll just continue to repeat them. Yeah, it's that mental interference that develops, you know, and one stems from another. Yes. And it's like this spiraling, (laughs) it's almost like this growing snowball, if you will, going down the hill. It just gets bigger and bigger unless we address it and start applying some of the right tools. That's what I found is that this is not something that we just have to deal with for the rest of our lives, right? I mean, there are things that we can do specifically to help with that anxiety, that activation, uh, so that we're not overactivated, if you will. To go back to my wife as an example Mm -hmm. on this, I said, honey, you've got to go back and read chapter two and actually do the assessment. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, it was in a nice way. We have, we have a great relationship. And so she, she was a good support. She did. And it was in going back there. I looked at the book and opened it up and sure enough, she had really gone through in a lot of detail, the assessment. Mm -hmm. And that changed the whole book for her because everything that came later in the five stages of peak performance was now something that she was able to relate to some of those thinking patterns you know, to some of those areas that she had tagged or labeled from her youth and were still impacting her, Mm -hmm. you know, in her forties. And so the the reason I bring this up is because, you know, there's all of these things that you're going to learn out there that can help with anxiety. But for me, writing this book with you is so important to see those in the context of your own background. Well, thank you. You know, one of the things that I saw as we talked about where do you put that assessment in the book, I wanted it right up front because we need to have that information as we go forward with it. So if you're reading the book, do not skip the assessment. It'll be worth your time. It'll give, you some, it'll give you access to some automatic patterns that you can now start to make decisions around. And that's where we start to have power in our lives. Yeah, it really is. And so the rest of the book is based on the assessment. And it walks you back and say, hey, go back and look at what you wrote in exercise four, you know, in paragraph three. What did you put right here? So it's critically you don't skip it. And the truth is, you know, it does take a little bit of emotional energy, right? It mm-hmm. does take looking in the mirror. And there is the possibility that could bring up things from our past that are not maybe emotionally easy to look at. That's possible. if we want to conquer anxiety, it's important to look at those things. Absolutely. So I can't believe we're already 15 minutes into this. So here's what we're going to do, John. Let's jump into this. And for our listeners, you know, we really haven't talked about the details of what we would cover here. We just wanted to jump in and see where this would go. There are five stages of peak performance that we address in the book after someone has taken the assessment. And these are five simple things that you can do or phases that you can focus on to conquer your anxiety. 
regardless of how significant or, or small it may be. Now, while this is targeted at performance anxiety, so you know, climbing, playing a musical instrument, giving a talk in front of a group of people, this applies to everyone across the board. And we came up with a very simple way to describe these five stages. It's vision, ready, set, go, and evaluate. Yep. So let's just talk about a few of the key highlights throughout those. What are some of the things that we'll just say could have a big impact on people? And then we're going to come back and do another podcast specifically on the five stages. But let me ask you, John, you know, in your experience, you meet with people on a daily basis in your office as a psychologist who are experiencing anxiety. What are some of the most common things that you see and I'd really rather save most of the five stages for a separate discussion, separate okay. podcast, okay. because there's so many things in there that could be helpful to people that it really does deserve its own mm-hmm. time and podcast. But as you, as you see and meet with people on a daily basis, what are some of the most common recurring things that you see? And why would this be important for our listeners to understand and, and, and hear some of those examples? When it comes to anxiety, there is such a thing as a conditioned response, it's an automatic response. And so the word triggered, typically people come into my office because something triggered their anxiety, something triggered this reaction that they know is unhealthy, they know is not going to support their goals, their visions. I don't want to talk to my boss anymore. Well, they come in and they're all upset about their boss and the conversation with their boss. And as we start to talk about it, it was the conversation the day before where the boss said something that was demeaning. And suddenly that brought up all this energy of his past about being made fun of in elementary school. He was bullied in elementary school. Now he's seen his boss as a bully. And it was amazing to watch. Oh, so the stuff from elementary school being bullied is now something that my boss is not a bully. <laughs> he can be a jerk sometimes, but he's not a bully. Okay. You know, and that, that again, created an access point to where it's like, okay, I want to treat him as a professional. I want to be a professional. I'm not 11 years old anymore. That's where that anxiety can start to be managed. You know, other things that show up in the office really are part of life. I mean, life is a very uncertain thing. Life's never been more uncertain for more people than today in these coronavirus times. Yeah. And we like to pretend we're very certain about things and very sure, because ultimately that says I'm safe, right? If you're going to rappel off a cliff, you want to make sure that's anchored properly. Unfortunately, there are people that die every year rappelling because they don't do their anchor properly. You know, so we want to make sure as certainly as we can that we're safe. But there's times where uncertainty, there's things we just cannot control. And so the more a person tries to control things they can't, the more anxious they're going to be. You could put the things of life into three piles, things we can control, things we can influence, things we can't control. That we can't control pile is the biggest. And so being able to get out of the anxiety and say, okay, well, what can I control? What can I do? I'm going to focus on that. I got to let this other stuff go because... All that does is cause anxiety. And isn't that interesting? I'm just thinking about my own life and the people I associate with on a daily basis. It seems like that is a dominant way of thinking for most people, including you mean myself. control? Control, yeah. Control issues, yes. We, Guess who has control issues? We, we all do. And, and when, it's when we're spending time on the things we can't control that there seems to be a much larger increase in anxiety. And isn't that interesting that that's where we tend to spend most of our time, you know, or where we have minimal influence? And it's amazing how often we'll create in our own mind scenarios. I think you, you, you mentioned this earlier. When talking about anxiety, there's almost one anxiety that leads to and builds on another. Mm-hmm. And so people, we start to imagine up things in our minds of, you know, what could go wrong here? What about that? Well, what would happen if we start to make up these crazy, weird scenarios? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. One of Rob's favorite uh, terms in the book is chair flying. 
And this is what he learned to do as a fighter pilot. Yep. See, that's the positive use of visualization. Well, anticipating fear, anxiety, that's a negative use of visualization. And we tend to get better at what we visualize. And so it's so important that we look at that as one of those very important tools and say, okay, I'm visualizing. I want to see some positive things happening here. I want to see myself moving forward with my strengths, doing what I can do, what I'm able to do, rather than worrying about, is it going to be good enough? Is it going to be good enough? What if it's not good enough? The grandma and the (laughs) boss and whoever, you know, then they start to get all worried about that. And so, again, just recognizing that as a very subtle distinction, that we can have very positive visualization, which is so powerful. We can also have very powerful negative visualization that really is destructive to the freedom in our lives, to our dreams, our goals. And that's a frustrating experience. And that's why stage one of the five stages in the book is to start with the vision, right? Yes. We flip it away from the negative, the problem, to the positive of what are we trying to accomplish? What's our vision? And with that vision, what's so important in stage one is you design a mindset. You want to bring a mindset to accompany that vision. Most of us start out really strong with visions and goals, but do we design a mindset that, okay, I'm committed to this mindset. Boy, to get this goal, I'm going to have to be determined. I'm going to have to be just courageous. Well, I'm going to be willing to risk. I'm going to have to put myself out there. Yeah, I can do that. But what happens when we don't design that mindset and we start to go out there and suddenly, okay. I'm scared again. I'm anxious. <laughs> oh, that is, that, that is bigger than, uh, well, I can't do that. Then our goals die. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. Just talk briefly about the example used in the book. And we won't get in any of the other stages after this one. But in stage one, the vision. Yes. I think you use the example of a student who had a senior recital that was a part of their graduation. Yes. Right. And it was the point where, I mean, they were just scared to death about the senior recital because they were so focused on the problem. Talk about that experience. She came to me in kind of a crisis, like, Dr. Skidmore, you got to help me. Well, what's going on? And she went through this whole story of her senior recital, how stressed out she was, how she wasn't practicing effectively, how she was worried about everything. And she was really afraid of failing. Well, she had a great goal, but she didn't have a mindset goal to support that. So when I asked her what her current attitude about her senior recital was, all she said was, I am hating it. Well, it took just a few moments of coaching for her to realize her goal was to be a great teacher and a great performer, that she was passionate and excited about the creativity and the beauty that music could bring to her life, their lives, the world. And suddenly she forgot about failing. And she'd been working on this for four years. And she saw this now as an opportunity to just share what she had learned. It just changed that fast for her. It was that fear of failure. She was so focused on the recital and the possibility of failure that it was becoming all-consuming to her, right? And, and just simply shifting it back to her vision of, well, why are you doing this in the first place? You know, why did you choose the music major? Right. It was helping her shift back to, you know what? She wants to be a music teacher and bless the lives of a lot of young men and young women and seeing it in that context and then designing the mindset that goes along with it that helped her make that shift and see it in the frame of what it was. You know, that was a stepping stone towards her achieving her long-term vision. All of you who are listening, just take a moment, take a nice big breath in and just ask yourself if there's any attitude you could bring to a company your day, your next project, your next goal, what would that be? And if you could stay in it, and that's the big question, if you could stay in that attitude, what's that experience going to be like? Now, three words that I use a lot are the words bold, confident, and free. Now, you can use whatever words work for you. But just by literally breathing in and saying, I want to step out here and be bold, confident, free, it creates a whole different level of energy on lots of different levels. And That's the mindset you want to be in. 
it has a very positive impact on whatever it is you're doing. And see, to deal with anxiety, you've got to be willing to decide, I'm going to face whatever is scaring me. I mean, I've got to face this. This is a dragon. I'm going to go out there and slay. That takes a lot of commitment and determination to be able to say, I'm going to do this boldly and confidently makes a big difference. Yeah. And I mean, that you just said it, John, and I would hope that anybody out there who has a family member or coworker or even you maybe having experienced anxiety would be willing to finally face it. Because I'll tell you the one thing, you know, you say knowledge is power. Well, that's partially true, but it's partially not true. Knowledge only becomes power when it's applied correctly. Right. And so there's really two parts to this. Number one is we need to get the knowledge. And then number two is we need to be willing to apply the knowledge. And anxiety is one of those things where we don't have to just sit there and deal with it the rest of our lives. The one thing that I've learned in this whole process of writing the book with you is that number one, understanding it. And then number two, once we understand it, saying, okay, this is something we're finally going to face. And then applying the stages and, and those tools to help address it. And that's how we conquer anxiety and optimize our performance. Every time we face a fear, our world gets bigger. We get more confident. We become more powerful. Well, the opposite is true. Every time we run from a fear, every time we shut ourselves down, our fears get bigger. We're less able. We're less confident. We're more willing to avoid. We can practice avoidance and get really good at avoidance. And it does work. Avoidance will work. But there's a side effect of that. There's a big consequence to that. And so just recognizing that when we want our world to get bigger and stronger, we've got to be bigger and stronger. And we do that by facing our fears. I think everyone has experienced that at some point in their life. Absolutely. We all do. You know, like, uh, for example, even though as a fighter pilot, I still have this fear of heights. So you can run from it or you can face it. And, you know, it was interesting when you avoid something, you talk about avoidance. This is all in the book. When you talk about avoidance, we're now living a life that is fear-based and that fear tends to grow and expand. Feed the wolf that you want to feed, right? Mm -hmm. Feed the wolf of faith or feed the wolf of fear. And, and that's going to be the, the dominant one. As I avoided heights, the fear only grew. Sure. So it wasn't until I started to really face this and, and challenge myself and look at it. I'll still get butterflies in my stomach now and then. There's still this activation a little bit. But I've had some amazing experiences canyoneering in Zion's National Park and doing these 120-foot repels down a waterfall. Mm -hmm. I would have never had those by hiding in fear. And there's so many different places where people are going to need to face their anxiety if they want to grow their world and expand. And it's something that everyone can do. If you're listening to this and you've experienced it, I'm here to tell you, I've watched people apply the tools from the book. And it's amazing to see how liberating those can be in helping people develop that feeling, that emotion of boldness, you know, confidence, freedom. I like to see the tools in the book are literally keys that people can use to unlock doors, unlock those padlocks that are on those parts of their lives they'd like to express themselves in, like to enjoy. And that's a really exciting thing for me as a psychologist and as a coach to really see people step forward and move into areas that, okay, I can be here now. I can play here now. I can enjoy being here now. Uh, I couldn't do that six months ago. <laughs> uh, six months ago, I avoided this place I'm in right now. But today I am here and I'm learning from this. I'm growing from this. I'm enjoying this. That's a really powerful thing to see. Well, I can't believe, John, that we are almost at 30 minutes. That is amazing to me. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to finish up this podcast. We're going to give you two invitations. And then we're going to come back in about three weeks, if that's all right, John. You bet. And let's do another podcast on the five stages specifically. Okay. But I think this will actually flow really well. What we'd invite everyone to do that's listening to this is two things. Number one, go get the book. It's called Conquer Anxiety. You can get it on Amazon from our website. If you want the simplest way to get it, just go to anxietyconquer.com. 
or you can get the audio version, the Kindle, and everything on Amazon. Just search for Conquer Anxiety. And the authors, of course, Schallenberger and Skidmore. So number one, get the book. Number two, read through chapter one and chapter two. It'll recap everything that we've just talked about right here. And it gives you a chance to take the assessment to see where you're at. And then by that point, we'll have done the other podcast on the five stages and you'll have a chance to listen to that conversation in conjunction with what you're reading in the book. But if you get to that point where you've got the book and you've gone through chapter one to understand the brain basics and your background, that puts you in a really powerful position to move forward. I mean, you've just done the hardest part. Now it all gets exciting, you know, from that point forward. Wouldn't you agree, John? Absolutely. One thought on that assessment. Consider the assessment is about connecting the dots. As you start to look at your timeline of where you had successful or negative performances, well, you'll see those same attitudes show up in the sentence completion exercise. So it's really like, how do these four exercises connect? Where do they connect? That's where you start to see the patterns that you're responding to when you're in similar situations. And so it's going to just be a really um, eye-opening experience, I hope, (laughs) for you to recognize, whoa, this over here is connected to this over there. Well, over here, that didn't make any sense, but it did when I was seven. Okay, I got to start going backwards and forwards and connecting things and really creating a new, new response pattern. And it's so liberating. Once you see it, now you see how you can move forward. So it's so powerful and liberating, and I, I get excited about that. Okay, well, that's invitation number one. Number two, if anyone would like to take that deeper, on that same website, anxietyconquer.com, there is an online course that we created that complements the book and just takes it to a whole nother deeper level. Uh, it's just $99. so very simple. Anyone can access it. You get an entire workbook that goes along with it, as well as specific videos for every exercise, every activity, and every part of the book so that you get it at a fully, I'll, get, I'll just call it a fully integrated approach <laughs> okay. to where you get that one-on-one look, you get the explanation of every part. So the online course will be a really valuable tool for those who get the online course as well. So those are the steps. We'll get into the five stages in another podcast about three weeks from now. Get the book, read it through at least chapters one and two, and make sure that you take the assessment in chapter two. And then if you want to go further, obviously go further. We'll come back and do another podcast on the five stages in a couple of weeks, two to three weeks. John, any parting thoughts, comments for our listeners before we wrap this one up? It's really about facing fears. And just notice where the idea of maybe I don't want to, oh, I don't like that. Uh, That doesn't interest me. See, those are often the front for They scare me to death, and there's no way I'm going to do that. But it sounds much more noble to say, I don't want to do that. I I don't like that. Uh, Just look for that as something that may or may not be a part of your life, because it's really fun to step back and say, oh, I choose to move forward with this and face whatever I need to face. And my world just got bigger, and my opportunities increased. And that's an exciting thing. That freedom we're talking about when we conquer anxiety is part of what makes life great. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, thanks, John. It's always great talking with you as usual. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We invite you to share this with your friends. You know, share this with other people who might benefit from it. Uh, That's where the old saying that, you know, one person can make a difference comes in. So we appreciate you being loyal. We want to help you succeed and add value wherever we can. And that's the whole intent behind doing this. So between us and you, we hope you have a fabulous day and a great week. And we'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening. Would you like help to apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders in your life, in your family, or in your organization? Call us today at 888-690-8764 to speak with a helpful representative to evaluate your situation and how we can help. Or you can visit becomingyourbest.com. 
Whether it's a corporate training event, keynote, workshop, trainer certification, or personal coaching, it would be our pleasure to serve your needs. Once again, call 888-690-8764 or visit becomingyourbest.com today.